there's no one else you can fall back on except yourself. So especially when it comes to training or pushing through, I guess, moments of doubt, you have to have the confidence or the backup plan to get over it, <laughs> essentially, because no one's, no one's always going to be there. Hmm. And you can always reach out to people, but you're always going to have yourself. So you need to be your own safety net. I think that's something I want to always remember. And that's something I've learned from this. Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I talk with movement enthusiasts to learn who they are, what they do, and why they do it. This is episode number 94, Renee Dambly, Self-Care, Perception, and Competition. Moving to a different country and starting over is a challenge that Renee Dambly embraced. She shares how parkour and movement fit into her life and how she takes care of herself, especially after moving to Germany. Renee unpacks her perception of herself versus others' viewpoints and publicity representing parkour. She discusses climbing, injury, competition, painting, and hitting the plateau. Renee Dambly is an athlete and coach recently moved to Germany from Colorado. She has a diverse movement background, including track, rugby, and rock climbing, in addition to parkour. Renee is pursuing a career in fitness alongside her professional parkour career. For more information, go to moversmindset.com slash 94. And a quick note about this conversation with Renee. Last year, we traveled to Denver. I think it was last year. Was that last year? Or was that two years ago? For a series of interviews. The day we were set to fly out, a crazy windstorm closed the entire airport, chopping a day off the schedule. And Renee's was one of the conversations that didn't happen. Then she moved to Germany. Never wanted to take a hint. I hounded her for a conversation via video. It was well worth every bit of effort. And a final note, have you seen our weekly campfires? Bring your own marshmallows and be ready for some conversation. We get together regularly in a sort of cross between instant chat and performance art where we talk about what we're up to within Movers Mindset and what we've seen recently that's caught our interest. We get together in a Zoom call and simultaneously co-edit a shared document. At the end, we post it in the forum. Thanks for listening. I'm here with Renee Dambly. Hi. <laughs> I want to start by asking, thinking back to your childhood, what role did movement play as you were growing up? Oh, okay. Um, movement's always been there. I don't think I've ever not been moving. That's funny. That's such a good question. What role does movement play? I think movement is almost like a guide for me. It definitely takes me where I've always gone. So with sports or with traveling, I usually go somewhere where I can do something. I'm never very stagnant. And if I do find that I'm not moving, I find myself getting frustrated or bored. So I think movement is definitely, it has the role of the guide in my life. And what I'm wondering if you've ever had, uh, what I was going to say is you've ever had like major setbacks, but I don't mean injury. What I mean is like, so I went to college, but when I went to college, I wasn't already really into movement, but I was really into bicycling. I mean, not competitively, but like I'm in Pennsylvania, so rolling hills and summers and trees and biked all over everything. But when I went to college, bicycling like went out the window for me and I, I 
really can't imagine how I could have kept my love for bicycling going at the same time. So I'm wondering, and I don't know that it would be college, but if you've had any places in your life where you've found something else that was really important to you got in the way of movement and how you've managed to balance those two. Yeah, I've had that, um, I think about twice in my life uh, where I didn't have movement. And the first time would be middle school. (laughs) And it was, yeah, I was so focused on school that I stopped all sports. And that was when I realized I need sport in my life because even though I'm focused on my education and I'm focused on getting involved with school, it was still very frustrating for me. And when I got into high school, that's when I joined track. And that's when I remembered, oh yeah, I like to run. Like, why did I ever stop running? Mm And I think that's helped me. Yeah, I um, when I started running again, I found, I think, more joy. Where, um, And then the second time was when I went to university. I once again gave up parkour to study sports science at Fort Lewis. And there is no parkour there. <laughs> um, there's no community. So I, I gave up, in a sense, parkour to get my degree. And that, yeah, I stopped moving. So those would be the two examples where I would put school in front of movement. So I like that you pointed out, because I was going to ask, I don't have to ask. I like that you pointed out that in the first time that that happened to you, you didn't realize what you had done. Like you didn't realize the trade-off you had made right away. And then later you realize, oh, I gave up this thing that I love and went back to it. So I'm wondering the second time that it happened to you, was it more of a decision up front? Like, ooh, if I go and choose this college and go in this direction, I'm going to have to put this particular love of mine, this parkour passion movement on hold? Like, did you, did you make that decision up front or did it surprise you again the second time? The second time, I made sure I could include it in some way. Mm. So I was aware there was no community. I was aware there were no gyms. But when I chose the campus, I was making sure that, okay, I can train there or outside of this building, there's a spot. So even though I was alone, um, I knew it would be uh, less in my life, but I made sure it wasn't completely cut out. And I'm now I'm wondering, um, so the, I, the podcast and the videos that we create aren't normally about current events, but we, everybody has to be talking about COVID and um, either the enforced isolation or self-isolation. So I'm wondering, it sounds like you're probably pretty well prepared for like when this <laughs> happens to you, then you're like, well, I know how I've seen this show. I know how to do this. So what are you doing, you know, these days to keep, to like keep that, I don't know, that flame kindled? Like what, what are you doing? Um, well, I actually am coaching online fitness classes through Apex Denver. We're doing Zoom meetings, and that's three times a week. So I have that every week. And then I try to make sure that I have 30 minutes outside in the sun. So yes, I already spotted spots near my apartment. <laughs> I've, um, we, I'm lucky enough to live next to a church, and they have very nice architecture for training. So I definitely have been prepared from my time in university to spot spots from nothing and training on my own isn't as much of a challenge um, as I think it is for others because I did that for four years already. So, yeah. What do you think? So uh, sometimes people will say, you know, if you can go back in time and ask your 10 year old self, what, I, what I'm wondering is I'm going to do this the other way. 
if you, because you could do this, by the way, if you were going to write a note to yourself and like seal it in a letter and then open it 10 years from now, what is something that you think you would want to capture today to remind your future self, say 10 years down the road, to remind your future self of? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> future self from today? Oh. You can scream for a mulligan and take a pass. <laughs> you don't yeah. <laughs> I just, there's so much. There's so much going on, like, for example, today. COVID happened right when I moved to Germany. So I'm just like, yeah. Um, I think what I would write to myself is be your safety net. Mm-hmm. Because when moving to a different country, not knowing a lot of people, don't necessarily speak the language. There's no one else you can fall back on except yourself. So especially when it comes to training or pushing through, um, I guess, moments of doubt, um, you have to have the confidence or the backup plan to get over it, (laughs) essentially, Um, because no one's one's always going to be there. Hmm. And you can always reach out to people, but you're always going to have yourself. So you need to be your own safety net. I think that's something I want to always remember. And that's something I've learned from this. Just leaving you, leaving you space to see if you want to ask any questions. Um, <laughs> you don't have to, but I can totally just fill all dead space. That's, that's a thing that I can do <laughs> <laughs> for better or for worse. What do you think? Are you, sometimes I like to ask people what they do for self-care and Uh, you've already talked a lot about that in terms of like movement is clearly something that you do for yourself. But I'm wondering if there's anything else you do that maybe you haven't, I'm not fishing for secrets, but that maybe you haven't shared. So like, do you, do you actually enjoy, like some people are really into bullet journaling or some people really want to do what they call morning pages if they're a writer. I'm just wondering if there's anything that you've got like a, oh, by the way, I also am really into reading, you know, this book or Anna Karenina every week or something. Yeah, I have a few things. <laughs> um, I do a lot, I think. Um, I, uh, but the, my first response to that question was hot showers. <laughs> but uh, yeah, hot showers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I do um, a lot of art. I like to sketch and I paint. With Europe, moving to Europe, I couldn't take my paints with me. So when I got here, the cheapest painting you can get is watercolor. <laughs> so I've been doing watercolors. <laughs> um, I necessarily don't feel up for much. And I also really enjoy audible books, especially fantasy books. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think for when it's um, me doing self-care, I'll probably nap in the sun <laughs> and listen to one of my books or I'll be looking up photography, and yeah, animals. I like, I don't know, the things I like to paint and I'll just see if I can kind of put that into my own style. Yeah. So art and books probably. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Is there anything that's, so now, you know, 10 minutes in, anything that's sprung to mind that you were thinking you wanted to talk about, like, you know, because you, you do have a soapbox, you know, like, here's your chance to, what do you want to talk about? Is there anything that you were thinking like, oh, I really want to talk about maybe a project that you're working on or something that you've thought about recently that you wanted to share? Yeah, actually. So with moving to Germany, I've realized that the European perspective of parkour is very almost opposite 
of American slash Canadian views. I'm doing American and Canadian because those are the two, I think, Western uh, perspectives of parkour that I've seen the most. I'm And then versus European. That's something that's popped up a bunch with talking to different coaches and gym owners here. Mm-hmm. And that is a project I've decided to work on is to understand I think the roots of each perspective and connecting that to how the sport culture within parkour specific communities has um, evolved depending on the root um, perspectives. And that's going to be my new project because <laughs> I think that's something that's been always there, but no one, I don't think anyone's really dove into, into it and really analyze the differences. Everyone's just kind of like chatted about, but I don't think anyone's really yeah, dissected the diverse perspectives. Mm-hmm. So I want to say, tell me more, but I also don't want to force you to like cough up things you haven't finished thinking about. So <laughs> yeah. I, I read your, you wrote a blog post about, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but about how parkour reminds you like not reminds one in general but how in your opinion it reminds you of the two perspectives like of the self-knowledge like how one sees oneself versus how everybody else sees oneself and Mm -hmm. i'm wondering where in your presuming that wasn't always from the very beginning but where in your journey did you first realize that parkour was a tool for that for giving for giving you access to those two perspectives or i'm completely wrong and you're correct (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, um, I I think in 2014, when I made my first YouTube video, that's when I started to realize it, because that was around the same time I started to travel a bit more to parkour events and competitions, and that's when the comments of, you're good for a girl, and oh, you're the best female in the community comments started to arise. And I was like, oh, I never thought about that. When I started training, I never thought about being compared or, um, I, yeah, I guess, yeah, more about the comparison or how other people see me as an athlete versus I'm just doing it for me. So that's when the, the double consciousness came in mm. uh, with me doing it for myself but then how others perceive me and how that affects my training as well and my development mm. so i think yeah 2014 is around the time <laughs> i realized it <laughs> i'm just impressed you have like an actual date but because you know because you have it tied to an event about publishing a video yeah. okay yeah. i'm just like whoa <laughs> all right yeah because that was yeah my you, first youtube video came out in 2014 and what, around that what? same time yeah all those comments were being made and yeah, because I was just taking classes at first and I was just like having a ball <laughs> yeah. doing classes. And then all of a sudden, all this kind of got piled on. And one of my coaches was like, you should make a YouTube video because you're one of the good girl athletes. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure, I'll make one. But like, that's an interesting comment. And then as I kept training, I realized that parents at playgrounds viewed me differently than other teenage girls at playgrounds. And some parents will encourage it and clap and other parents will take their child away from your area. (laughs) It's like, sweet. Okay. So some people view me as a menace and some people view me as entertainment, but I'm doing the same thing. It's just other people. So, and, but that also 
makes me act differently. So when I see families with young kids, I try not to train because I have had the experience of parents getting mad, but then I've also had the experience of parents being like, oh, that's cool. And their kid tries to copy that and they just let their kid go for it. So it, it definitely like, you don't know how to act or yeah. For me, when cops are around, <laughs> I definitely don't do anything, but I have friends in England who are like, oh, we have no respect for authority. <laughs> Let's just keep training. I'm like, ah, cool. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. It's all. Yeah. Do you, so there's, there's two pieces I see there. One is the, how does that affect you and how does that inform, you know, like you're, you're choosing to train or to not train based on your experience in that moment. Then there's also the whole societal, like, I forget who exactly I interviewed, said something. Oh, wait, I know exactly who it was. Mark Turok from American Parkour said mm. his personal mission is to lower the age at which it's considered acceptable to be to play. So he's the kind of guy who will just like take play right into people's faces. What I was saying is I'm torn between asking you to tell me more about how this insight that you've had, how, how people see you, how that changes and affects and informs your training versus asking, I think this is a better question, what do you feel about you're forced to choose whether or not you want to be like a parkour ambassador? So mm -hmm. like, okay, here comes the mom with the kids. And then it's okay, I can make the choice. What's the best choice for Renee to train or not? And you can also make the choice. What's the best choice for parkour as a community mm -hmm. global thing? And just I'm, I'm more interested kind of like in an outward facing one. Like, do you do you decide, all right, I'm going to make the decision based on the outward perspective and how does that how does that play out so now <laughs> i make sure that i keep training because I, I don't want to be ashamed of what i'm doing because i'm doing nothing wrong but i will keep doing it as long as i can demonstrate a respect for my space and the people around me so as an athlete trying to make a positive impression on the public, I'm not going to stop training, but I'm also not going to train in a disrespectful manner. Mm. So I, I want to make the best choice to, I think, have parkour viewed in a more positive light. So I will keep training, but I will show respect. I wish everybody did that. <laughs> that's, I think <laughs> that's the perfect way to go at it. You're not, you're not sacrificing yourself, like physically bashing yourself like, oh, people are watching, now I really have to show off. You're not, mm -hmm. um, you're not holding yourself back by denying yourself from something that's clearly important to you, training and physicality and movement. Um, but you are clearly well-informed about how the world views what you're doing and how the world views parkour. And I think we'd all be in a better place, whether you want to call it parkour or to the place, free running, um, we'd all be in a better place if more people took that opportunity to like, all right, I have to factor in the fact that I am part of a society, part of a community. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Spring is checking back. Anything else spring to mind from your side that you want to bring up or that you want to ask about? Or not that, not that I have anything I think is particularly interesting to talk about, but. I want to make sure people don't feel like I pinned them down under a magnifying glass. <laughs> I don't have any questions right now, but yeah, uh, nope, I got nothing. Well, as I mentioned in the very beginning, I kind of interrupted my own self trying to introduce you about um, rock climbing. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, I, I believe I understand how competitive rock climbing works, but I'm wondering, I'm going to say most people who rock climb in, you know, sport, traditional, indoor, outdoor, they don't 
even like com competitive isn't even a thing on their radar. Like everybody who runs, they all understand you can run races, but most people don't think of rock climbing competitively. And I'm wondering how did you just like, what's the story about how, how you got into that? Mm. So when I went to university and there was no parkour, um, a roommate of mine expressed interest in rock climbing. And that reminded me of why I was younger and I also enjoyed rock climbing. So I went with her to the meeting. There, there's a rock climbing club at our university. And so she doesn't know anything about rock climbing or she didn't at the time. And so the best option for her is to go to this club where there's a team. So being there, you automatically are on a team now representing your university. And as a rock climbing team or club, they're automatically into the collegiate competitive series. So it's optional to compete, but um, we were already kind of in it. So both of us were like, yeah, I mean, it's a goal for us to be like, okay, if we can climb V3 <laughs> like, right. by May, when this one competition is, that's a nice goal for us. And then it's cool to see where we're at and it's a cool measurement tool for um, individual progress. So for me, the competitive part, I felt like kind of was in my face right away. But yeah, as we got more into it and got to know our club members a bit more, realized that there's a whole different culture with rock climbing. And it's more, to me, it's more about being in nature and working on your route and all this stuff. But with clubs and teams, the competitive aspect is right there. Hmm. That has an interesting parallel to, and I hit them like, ooh, I just thought of this. It's an interesting parallel to how parkour works where sure you can go out and run lines on your own or like train by yourself. But most people, the vast majority of people that I've talked to, when when you say, you know, what is your training? What do, what do you mean? They say, oh, like me and people. There's like a group of them who go out. So like it's a communal, there's a, there's a mini micro society aspect to what they're doing in parkour. And most rock climbing, even if you go to a bouldering gym, most rock climbing is still an independent individual thing. I mean, the climbing itself definitely literally is, but you know, even if you're out with another climbing partner, you're really still climbing by yourself. And uh, I hadn't thought about how competition, I mean, I know there are good things and bad things about competition in general, but competition can bring in that group dynamic, that society, that culture of us can bring that into rock climbing. That's interesting. Did uh, I'm wondering what role competition itself has played for you? Like is competition something you do because you enjoy it or because it's a tool that you really feel you need or it's an easy way to set goals or, or something else? <laughs> that's a, for me, that's a complicated question because I, up until high school, I was very anti-comp with sports. I played soccer from age three to 12 and refused to be on any sort of like competitive team because it took the fun out of it for me. And then when I started doing track and field, they're like, hey, now you're going to do meets and all that fun stuff. So that was more my introduction to competition. And I did my, I don't even know when I did my first parkour comp, but I did my first parkour comp because a training partner of mine encouraged me. And since then, I've liked to compete as a 
way to, I think, meet athletes and as a way to connect with athletes, not necessarily to win, I guess, if that makes sense. Competition originally wasn't about the bettering of each other. It was about the connecting of each other. So to me, that's why I enjoy competition and that's what it means to me now. And I do think it is a tool to measure your uh, skills and capabilities under pressure. Yeah, so that's that would be competition for me is about community connecting and um, a, measure, a measurement tool. <laughs> I'm curious about, I have, don't know that I've ever talked to someone who I've known, I must have talked to somebody who was a competitive track and field athlete from you know secondary school or high school. And I'm just wondering what happens if you try to like, you know, all right, we're supposed to win. And you're like, yeah, I just, I just want to run. Like what happens if you actually go to a competition, but really just like, oh, don't do it past me. I don't care. You know, like if you just went and ran it for the fun of it, like what would, mm-hmm. I guess it would kind of depend on your coach. But what has anybody ever, did you do that? Or is it always just like, oh, all right, I guess I'll try and win like while I'm out here. Or can you, se- have, did you manage to separate those two? It was more about beating your personal time. Mm. So it was, it was never about winning. It was always about, okay, last time, when you did your 200 meter, you ran a 29.5. So this time, let's see if you can minimize that. So whether you run a 29 flat or or try to break 29 and get a 28. So it was, it's always about continuing to better yourself, not necessarily winning the race. That sounds way healthier. <laughs> I have a, a bunch of stuff on the wall over here behind the computer monitor. And one of the lines is, uh, I don't compare myself to others only to myself from yesterday. It's right in the middle of an oath that I have pinned up on the wall. Like, that's an excellent <laughs> point. Because I find when I try to compare myself to others, things never work out well for me. <laughs> it's like yeah, I'm always the <laughs> old slow gorilla in any context. What about, let's see, so we've talked about competition. We've talked a little bit about the dual viewpoint thing. We've talked about climbing. We've, t- um, I think I know the answer, but sport or trad? Oh, I've never done trad. So it is. Oh, yeah. I, don't, I don't judge. <laughs> no, I've I've seen a lot of photographs, and I'm like, yeah, I don't care whether that route is bolted or not. I would love to climb that route. Like, I, I yeah. don't, I'm not a leader. I'm a follower. So it seems to me like in sport climbing, it would be much easier to learn to lead if you're just clipping. I mean, just clipping, but. I've never really spent, my, my problem is I don't live close enough to any actual real rock climbing. Like there's nothing that high nearby me. And there's like one house sized boulder on the little mini mountain behind me, like one. Of course it's got all seven handholds have chalk on them and like everybody tries to climb on them. Like, yeah, it's only a route. So I don't live close enough to any real outdoor places. And because of that, there isn't like a, I know they're around, but I don't have a friend click like people who would go to the rock climbing gym. So when, um, many times I've been like in New York city or, or in London and then invariably somebody in the room is really into climbing and everybody else has at least done, I mean, everybody's done it a couple times. So that it's like, let's go to the rock gym. And it's like, Oh, I really wish I lived somewhere where that like came up randomly in conversation for me. Where it doesn't. Um, because I think anytime I'm, I'm, I think I actually have a question here. Anytime that I, I'm going to say challenge, but I just mean like in the random, like, hey, you, you want to go do this? There's like a random lightweight challenge. Anytime I'm challenged to go back to something that I know I enjoy, but I haven't been to in a while, that's always a delightful day. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering if there are things that you're finding, I know you're, you know, everybody's locked down, but 
are the things that you can think of that you haven't been, you know, figuratively haven't been to in a while that you're like, whoa, I really need to go back to that. Oof. Sorry. I always feel bad when people go, ooh. I'm like, I don't, <laughs> I don't mean to make it hard. It's not a good <laughs> Something that I haven't, well, I guess I'd be climbing, but <laughs> I can't really uh, do that. Actually, I, I guess recently I did experience out climbing because I had a surgery on my shoulder. I had a torn labrum from working with Ninja Warrior. <laughs> I dislocated my shoulder. It's very unfortunate. <laughs> but um, had to get surgery, just recovered from it in February and went sport climbing for the first time. And it was really humbling because I had to start basically from ground zero. Um, I was climbing in European or in, in French measurements. I don't know. But um, it was like a... I never understood that, but apparently there is a difference and I, I never... <laughs> I was climbing a four plus in Europe, but I think in US measurements, that's like a five, seven, five, eight. Mm. And I was so fatigued at the top and I was just like, oh my gosh, yep, this is it. I'm, I'm back to square one. But it, yeah, it felt good because it was a nice reminder of, I guess, the challenge and the freedom of that hobby that was so huge in my life at one point. Um, but yeah, so I guess I did have that experience with rock climbing and I would say painting too, um, because I've basically been self-teaching how to do watercolor <laughs> and I, um, started it when I was, oh my gosh, in high school when I was 18 was the first time we did watercolor and then haven't done watercolor until a month ago. Mm -hmm. It's been fun. Do you, I don't know. I mean, I understand the concept of watercoloring, <laughs> but I've never watercolored. Not because I'm anything against it, because I've never picked up a paintbrush. Well, that's not literally true. But I'm wondering, do you only do your watercoloring like, you know, in your own, whatever your defined space is? Or do you, because I, I know somebody who has like tricked out a tiny little like fishing tackle box with tiny little watercolors and like has the ability to like, I'm going to call it micro watercoloring on the spot randomly. Um, have you made it a portable thing that you take with you in any situation or is it only something you do? In it's only something I do at home right now. Um, I would love to make a little like tiny travel pack. <laughs> um, I live next to a really nice uh, city garden um, that has so much opportunity to make um, mini paintings, but um, I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> yeah, and the seasons. Yeah, in, in Germany, you'd have this, you know, really um, distinct season. Sometimes I, uh, if Pennsylvania is um, like 40 degrees north, so we get you know, four, oh, I joke, we get six seasons, you know, two of which are mud that will go between our two winters that we get. There's like winter mud, winter mud, spring, but anyway, <laughs> four real seasons around here. And that's one of the things about, that's like you mentioned standing in the sun or earlier today when we were talking and I was, my brain flashed back to, I was walking, I try to walk every day. I was out walking yesterday and I came up over a little crest in a park and uh, there was like a red-tailed hawk. It was really windy. Red-tailed hawk trying to like make progress in the wind and the trees blowing, the sky is blue. And I'm just, I just stopped and stood there staring into the sun with my eyes closed for like five minutes and thinking, oh, somebody ought to be calling the cops any minute now. Um, <laughs> but I was thinking, sometimes I look at those scenes and I'm like, you know, if I had any clue how to paint, sketch or watercolor, this this situation is ripe because everything's windy, but you know, there's like a hawk and there's the certain trump trees are budding and some trees aren't and the grass yeah. is really green because it rains, it's been raining a lot and the sun came out. 
Sorry. Mm -hmm. Remember I warned about I can just ramble and fill time. There we go. (laughs) Sorry. Anything else spring to mind? I guess I I have the same moments and I always try to take photos of them on my phone and then I take them back to my room and I paint them (laughs) later. (laughs) Oh, that works. I always look at those photos and go, not. I mean, that isn't even close to what I... um, I joke about trying to learn to sketch... I read a book one time about like how to keep a sketchbook journal. I, I keep, I do a lot of journaling. Um, so I usually have a journal with me, not necessarily when I'm out literally training, but even when I travel, I carry one. And I've often thought about, yeah, why don't I just carry, you know, a couple of pencils because um, I, I write in ink, but it's really like you could sketch in ink too, but that's really hard. Um, but I then I'm like, yeah, but I have lined paper in my journal. And then of course I just process it into oblivion like oh you can't sketch on that you got the thing you know what right. you're doing you know you sketch this way you sketch yeah. this. i just wreck it <laughs> what where are we in time oh we got lots of time what's and my pause is not because you're not interesting my pause is because i have a thousand questions i can ask what's some what's some cuisine that you have discovered i'm going to say in the last two years a cuisine? Yeah. Just because I don't want to like say what's a favorite dish, but like what what's something about food that you've discovered in the last two years? Tacos. The endless possibilities of tacos. Mm. <laughs> I actually brought that to Germany, Taco Tuesdays. <laughs> <laughs> what's Denver, within the past two years. Yeah, because I um, moved back to Denver about two years ago. And that and we started doing Taco Tuesdays and it was not just about cheap, delicious tacos, but it was also about friend time. Mm. So I, I guess to me, that's how I interpret your question is like a cuisine that I've discovered that you can do so much with mm. and bring so many people together. <laughs> cilantro or no cilantro? No cilantro. I I understand that there apparently is a taste bud issue, and to some people, cilantro is like soap. I'm I'm not that group. Me, I'm like yeah, cilantro. But I, it <laughs> always confuses me. But then there's there's also have you heard about the I forget whether it's cones or rods, which are for color detection in our eyes. But there is a there is a gene for a fourth color which and I want to say it's only women, but I could be wrong about that, that a certain percentage of people see a fourth, they have receptors in their eyes for a fourth color, which is slightly off from what most people think of as the normal red color. Oh. Have you ever heard about that? No. Yeah. I have a business partner who is a works in the creative industry. And for years, we never could understand why we're like, what about this color? And she'd be like, oh my God, you can't do that. And it turns out that certain people see it's a different, like a shade of orange and co- certain colors look differently to those people. I was like, what? I was just curious as to, since you are aware of the whole cilantro thing, I'm like, oh, do you know about the eyes? Then? Sorry, tangents. I'm notorious. <laughs> what? Oh, there's so many questions. What's... And this one's fun because, all right, what's something that you think other people get wrong about you? And you're allowed to take passes. <laughs> like you, don't, you don't have to answer my question. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, what do people get wrong about me? I don't know. <laughs> I'm asking because you're quite cognizant of that duality of how yeah. I see myself versus how others see me. And I'm just like, well, that might give you a particularly or an opportunity to have actually went, hey, you see what? I know a lot of people think I'm sad all the time. (laughs) Um, And that's not true at all. 
because I'm often deep in thought. And of course, there's that nice resting bitch face that comes out when we're deep in thought. <laughs> I know a lot of people are like, oh, she's probably really angry or really sad. Like, I'll be walking down the street and of course, a friend or even a stranger will be like, are you okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm just thinking, <laughs> just thinking about things. Uh, so I think a lot of people get that wrong. And um, a lot of people do think, uh, this is kind of funny, that I am a, how do, you, how do I put this? A lot of people are surprised when I tell them stories about myself and they're like, oh, I would have never have striked you as someone who would smoke weed. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Well, I have. <laughs> so, presume that I am not that sort of person. Yeah. yeah. People make assumptions. Yeah, people do make assumptions. <laughs> I was like, cool. I have no idea. Yeah. I think a lot of people tend to think I'm, I think, straight edge. Straight edge? Like, straight laced? Yeah, know. straight laced. Thank you. Mixed, yeah. Mixing metaphors. <laughs> straight. Yeah. I'm like, straight my edge? brain went straight edge. That's got to be a metaphor for something because that's awesome. That's an awesome visual. <laughs> straight laced is the one that you would. Straight. which reminds me to relace my shoes oh there's so many things do you find that my, my brain is just doing math like how long you've been doing parkour have you uh, i have a personal theory that there is that everyone gets to the parkour plateau midway that there's like you go about seven years is where i think it is and i'm wondering have you have you gotten to a point and i don't mean like you just wait till you get i didn't mean like have you gotten to a point where you look at what you what you do for what you call parkour and you go, you know what? I remember when this used to really light me up and I used to love it and now it's a solid meh. Have you, have, you gotten, have you gotten to that plateau? I hope you never do, but have you experienced that? No, I've never actually, I haven't hit that plateau yet. I've had the conflict with social media and the self-comparison to what other people are posting. And if I'm not posting the same stuff, then I have that negative um, and that's when I have that meh feeling of like uh am I like training but that's I've never lost the I think enlightenment feeling when I train because I think every time I was close to hitting that plateau something happened in my life where I just went down so like I trained for four years from 2010 to 2014 and then moved to university stopped training and then had to start from ground up and then was doing really well probably hit my peak in 2018 and was going to continue to progress and then got injured and now I'm starting from ground zero again so I think I've never really had an opportunity <laughs> to hit a plateau except something's always happened where I kind of like right. start over forces you to reframe that, that's great because I, I work really hard to reframe sometimes. I'm like, okay, I need not, not like reboot, like I'm going to redo everything and, you know, I'm going to change my whole life, but like try to get back to like, all right, what did I really love doing that I'm mm -hmm. not doing now? And then it's like, which this very second reminds me, I should go do some QM in my favorite tennis court. I have a favorite tennis court, <laughs> which is like a big park in the corner of our development. So from the 1950s is when this whole area was built that I'm in. And there's an, like a 50-year-old, 60-year-old, maybe more, tennis. Okay, what year is it, Craig? 70-year-old tennis court <laughs> that has um, like the old green asphalt and like the tennis posts have been there so long. They're starting to lean in. You know, one of those on like the chain link fence is 70 years old. It's a very old court backed up against a little mini mountain. So you'll be like, 
it's breezy and there's trees and there's sun and the, you know, usually the vultures are like, you know, looking at you while you're on the Sanskrit. So that's my favorite place to go out and do some Zen QM. What are your thoughts on QM? I always love to talk about QM. Um, I think it underrated. Mm. I think some people overrate it and some people underrate it. But most, most of the time I think it's very underrated. I think QM is one of the most useful uh, forms of movement in everything <laughs> how do you explain it to be great so if you if you like if you like it that much how do you explain it to people who don't know what it is qm i just tell people qm is the way you can use all four limbs together in an efficient way to either save yourself to get through space or to work on full body strength so that's the biggest the three main reasons or three main explanations i tell people qm is yeah it's yeah, it's so versatile and I think very essential in being human and being able to do that type of movement that everyone forgets about it because we just sit in chairs all day. Hey now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are sitting in chairs. But I agree, I would agree with you hundred percent. Too much time in chairs is not a good thing. Um and, and like right now, when I'm, there's a window right over there, which I'm looking at. I'm just like, it is gorgeous outside today. And, and I just keep, I'm like, anything else that you've thought of you want to ask before I just keep going until the last minute? No. No. Okay. Yeah. What? Uh, so many things. I was going to say like, what? Like I'll, I'll throw a bunch out and you can pick one and they're going to be random. Books that you have given or shared, like told people to read or physically handed to them. Books you've given or shared most often. Favorite quote or next competition that you would like to train in, maybe not actually planned. So books, quotes, or competition. Oh, <laughs> um, books. I can do that easy. Um, I've recommended Max Henry's Parkour Roadmap book yes. to multiple people and even gave my copy away for a friend to borrow. That's one. Another book was Thinking Fast and Slow, which is a psychology book. And I don't know the author, but I love that book. And I also gave that one to a friend and have never gotten that one back. So I need to buy it again. Oh, you're <laughs> but, not supposed to ever give books. I mean, you always, you always give them, never loan them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, those are definitely two books that were, yeah, had a huge impact. I'm like, everyone should read these. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, next competition would definitely be NAPC skills comp because that is one of the most fun competitions I've ever been a part of. Yeah. And oh, what was your third question? Quotes. Quotes. <laughs> you know, that was the hardest. There's so many quotes. Going for the hat uh, trick. One quote that I think helped me a lot. <laughs> it's like kind of yeah, it's more about self-confidence. It's like um, your energy speaks for you before you do. That's a good one. Um, that one's helped me a lot with coaching and um, going to a new place where I might have like anxiety. So it's like, mm. well, your energy speaks before you do. So you might as well have good energy. That's, that's a quote. That's really that's, important to me. That's a terrific thing to end on too. I, I like that. That's great. We, Renee and I were talking a little bit before we started and we had the uh, movers mindset. I had the opportunity to 
potentially interview you. And then we had an amazing windstorm where I live. They grounded all the planes. So I lost a day in a trip and then we missed you when we were out there. So oh, that sucks. We'll have to just catch you in Germany. So it was a pleasure to finally get a chance to sit down and talk to you. Thank you very much for taking the time and we'll see you later. Thank you. Yeah. See you later. Bye. Bye.